that you came to church today. Um, wasn't worship awesome? Um, I think that, amen, you can definitely give God praise for that. One of the things I'm just really grateful for is, is the time uh, every week, uh, just as a person, I'm not speaking as a pastor right now, just as a person, um, to come into God's presence through the place of worship. And, and I hope what you're experiencing in that is a moment in your week where you can step into God's presence and, and allow this interaction with the Father um, to begin to do something in your life to recharge you to go out and do what He's called you to do on a weekly basis. And so there's this reality that we get to experience every single week, and I just don't want to take it for granted. Amen? And so uh, if you have your Bibles, open those up this morning to Numbers chapter 14. Um, we're going to jump into God's Word and continue the series that we started last week titled Giants in the Land. And, and if you're over in Numbers chapter 14, last week we read Numbers chapter 13, we're going to kind of continue in that story a little bit. But I'm also going to turn over to Matthew chapter 5, and so if you want to go ahead and, and uh, find that place, we'll get there uh, eventually. But here's basically kind of the premise that we're working off of in, in these, this series of messages. Is This is what uh, 1 John 3, 8 says. It says that the reason that the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the, the devil. The reason that the Son of God appeared in your life was to destroy the works of the devil in your life. There's a, there, you can make that so personal because Jesus walked this earth 2,000 years ago and that's the reason that He came, is to destroy the bondage that the enemy had put mankind in and to bring salvation. But He's also working that same reality in my life right now 2,000 years later. And so the reason that the Son of God came was to destroy the works of the devil in my life. And, and as we're talking about this, there's this the, the, kind of this place that, that we're in as a church body. I think that there's a place that we're in as the people of God where we're seeking to lay hold of the promises that God has spoken to us individually and as a church family. And we know that as God has spoken this promised land, so to speak, to us, that there's going to be resistance. There's going to be giants in the land. Whenever you set your foot on the battleground and you try to take territory from the enemy, he is going to push back. He is going to punch back. He is going to fire at you. Amen? And so what we're doing in this series is we're taking some time to identify some of the common giants that you and I deal with on a day-to-day -day basis and discuss some tactics on how to deal with those giants. And not just deal with them, but deal with them with them. Amen? Amen. To, to destroy the works of the enemy in our life. And so that's really kind of what we're trying to do as we go through this. And so last week, we talked about the giant of despair. And I'd encourage you, if you didn't get a chance to listen to that, then go on Facebook Live. You can look at our archive and watch that service from last week. Or if you want to listen, if you're a podcast person like I am and you're in the gym or just walking around, driving around, um, we have a podcast that you can check out. It's totally free and, and that message will be up there. But the giant of despair... One of the things I told you last week is attempting to overwhelm you to the point where you'll just lay down your arms and quit. That's what despair does. He comes to discourage. He comes to speak negative thoughts into your mind and discourage you to the point where in your walk with Jesus, you just stop. You quit. You stop fighting and you stop progressing. You stop growing. And so as we were talking about that, we talked about some of the tactics to overcome a, a giant of despair or to get a heavenly perspective and to actually do the opposite of laying down, and that's to stand and fight. Paul commissions us in Ephesians chapter 6, whenever he talks about the full armor of God, the reason that we put on the armor of God is to take our stand in the day of evil. 
is to stand, to fight, to not lose the ground that you've so fought for up to this point in your life. And so as, as we, we talked about the giant of despair last week, this week I want to kind of shift gears a little bit. I want to talk to you about a different giant. And this is a giant that every single one of us deal with on a, on a I, don't, I wouldn't say maybe a day-to-day basis, but I would say seasonally in our lives. And that is the giant of captivity. Everybody that's in this room knows what it's like to be in prison, spiritually speaking. And you could be Mother Teresa if you want to be, and you can be the, the, the person who is the most godly person in the room, and you know what it's like to wrestle with sin. Because all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And so this, what I want to talk to you about, the, the, the giant of captivity today, is how you and I are dealing with this demon. We're dealing with this giant in our land, in our promised land, whose sole desire is to pull us into a prison where sin rules our life. And as as a blood-bought child of God, we can stand in God's grace and be forgiven and be washed clean, but how many of you know you still have this wrestling match with your flesh, amen? Where this this, this giant is trying to pull us into the place of captivity to some of the things that we're weak to. And one of the things that I've noticed is, as I've wrestled with sin myself and I've coached people as they wrestle with sin as a pastor, is that everybody's weak spot is different. What may not be something that's tempting or a sin issue in my life may be a huge giant that you're dealing with in yours. And so I don't want to sit here today and compare different sin issues, but what I do want to do is to defeat the giant of captivity. And as we get into this, this is what I want to show you. Look at Numbers chapter 14, and all, but I want to read to you from Isaiah 61. You don't have to turn over there because I just want to read a verse to you. And Jesus said that his ministry, that one of the reasons that Jesus came was to set captives free. Isaiah 61 says this, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to do several things, and he lists off several things. But one of the things that he says is to proclaim liberty to the captives. And and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. Listen, if you are bound up in sin today, Jesus wants to set you free. It's available. You can be free from the prison that the enemy seeks to, to keep you captive to. Jesus said this, I'm sorry, Paul said this in Romans about Christ. He said in verse 17, But thanks be to God that who, that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standing, the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, have become slaves now of righteousness. God wants to, to do this thing inside of every single one of our lives where He sets us free, He opens up the prison doors, and you can live free, free from sin. To walk in the desire that God has placed in your heart in purity, to repent and turn away from immorality, and to walk in the things of God. Amen? And so as we wrestle, we all wrestle with this same giant, there's this thing that happens in our lives seasonally. And as as much as Jesus wants to set me free from prison, the enemy wants to lure me back into myself. 
And so there is this wrestling match that happens in the life of a believer. I'm not talking about only people who are lost and don't know Jesus. I'm talking about your lot and my lot. I'm talking about the road that we travel every single day. And it's not something that I struggle with every single day, every moment of every single day, but there are seasons in my life, and I feel like that everybody can relate with this, that you're just sitting here going, man, I'm just really being tempted to go back into some darkness in my life. See, the giant of despair is trying to get you to roll over and quit, but the giant of captivity is trying to pull you back into chains. He's trying to lure you back into the place. We all have that same issue, that, or that sin issue that has a pull on our lives. But why is that? Why is it that sin, whenever we repent of sin and God sets us free and we walk free from that sin for a while, why is it that there's still some little bit of a pull on our soul? I want you to look at Numbers chapter 14, and I want to kind of show you something from the story that we read last week. Last week we were talking about the children of Israel and, and they were entering into the promised land and God was telling them to go into the promised land that he had been talking to them about from generation to generation. This is a promise that God had made to Abraham, to his son Isaac, and to Jacob. And eventually Moses was leading the children of Israel generations later and God was saying, now is the time for you to inherit the promise that I've been prophesying over your ancestors from generation to generation. Go into the land and take it. And as we read last week in Numbers chapter 13, Moses sent spies in the land to kind of look it out, to look at it, to kind of build a battle strategy and to, to scope out the land, so to speak. And, and these, these spies came back and Joshua and Caleb gave a, a good report. They said, the land's good, it's awesome, let's go take it. And there were these 10 other spies that gave a negative report. You remember the story? And they began to sow this negative seed. We're going to pick up on the same day. This, where we're going to pick up today is the same exact conversation that was happening last week when we were in Numbers chapter 13. And these 10 spies, just to kind of summarize what we did last week so we can jump in today, these 10 spies sowed this negative report into the children of Israel and they got, a, they got scared. They were afraid. And they said, we can't go in. We can't defeat these giants that are in the land. And so they shrunk back. Okay, Look at chapter 14, verse 1. It says, and then all the congregation raised a loud cry. And the people wept that night. And all the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. And the whole congregation said to them, Would that we had died in the land of Egypt. Or would that we had died in this wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become a prey. Would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to, said to one another, let us choose a leader and let us go back to Egypt. Now, I feel like I, I just need to point this out because they have obviously forgotten, unless we forget, they were slaves in Egypt. They didn't really have a great life in Egypt, folks. They were beaten. The, the labor, the toil that they did at work, and they punched the, the time clock every morning, and they punched out every night, they didn't, they didn't keep, get to keep those wages. They were slaves. 
They were in captivity. They did not have freedom to live their lives, to prosper, to make their own choices. If they didn't meet their quota, they were beaten up. And so there's this weird thought that channels through their minds as the giant of despair kind of lays hold of, of this people group. There's this temptation and this different giant that they start wrestling with. It's like, let's just go back into captivity. It'd be a better life. It'd actually be better life for us to go back into slavery than to go fight for the promise that God has spoken over our ancestors. How do we get to that place? And as we're reading this story, and it's, and it's kind of romantic whenever you read it because we're talking about Moses and the children of Israel and the story that, that a lot of us know, this happens in your life and my life over and over again. God speaks something to us, and it challenges us. It challenges us to believe for something bigger than we're experiencing now. And automatically, we kind of wrestle with despair, and we're like, I don't know that I can do that. That's too difficult. That's too hard. That's too big. And then as soon as we give in to a spirit of despair, then this temptation comes from the enemy to go back into captivity. Because listen to me. If you are not progressing with God, you will backslide into the darkness that you just came from. It's amazing to me that I can get into a place where I start trading the promise of God for chains, for prison doors to be opened and shut behind me and locked up. I've done it. You've done it. We've all done it. Why do we trade God's promise for captivity? When things get tough, Here's, kind of, here's what I wrote down in response to that question. When things get tough, the prison that you know is more attractive than the promise that you have been given. And it's the hard thing that happens on a day-to-day basis that challenges that promise to where, you know, anything that's good that's worth laying hold of is going to be difficult. Do you know that to be true? If God's spoken something to you, if you have a goal in your life, if there's somewhere that you want to, to ascend to, it's going to be hard, promise. And whenever things get hard, there's this giant that comes to whisper in your ear. He may not do this full frontal attack against you where he's just trying to overpower you. It may be this subtle temptation that comes where he's trying to whisper and say, hey, it'd just really be easier to go back to Egypt. You remember those friends that you worked really hard to get rid of? Why don't you go back there? they take you back. You remember that lifestyle that you worked so hard to get free from? Why don't you go visit it just one more time? That substance that you've abused, why don't you just try to see if that'll comfort you again? This is the giant of captivity. It's a spirit, and it comes to speak to all of us. It comes to lure us into not a great place called Egypt, but into a prison called Egypt. Its intentions are not good for you. It only speaks lies. And its goal is to put shackles on your wrists, to close the door and throw away the key. Could you imagine what would happen? Here's the the children of Israel, and as I read this story to you, they they kind of proposed this, this solution to their problems. Why don't we go back to Egypt? It would be better for us over there. Can you imagine what would have happened? Thank God it didn't. But what would have happened if the, the, the people that were kind of gathering this plan together, they got a leader and let's say, hey, you over there, would you lead us back into Egypt? 
What would happen if those people strolled into town? Do you remember what they just came out of? They completely annihilated Egypt. These people are not courageous people and they're not warriors. We talked about that last week. They aren't going to stroll into town and there's not going to be a banner that says, Welcome back! That's not what's going to happen. But this spirit comes to lie and to tempt us to say, Hey, it would be better for you back there. But listen, the, the bondage that they just came out of, God so thoroughly defeated that bondage that there is no Pharaoh in Egypt. The guy that was providing for them is not going to provide for them anymore. See, all of their, all of their uh, chips had been put into the God basket. That's the only choice that they had at this point. And it's like God does this thing in our lives where He does deliverance in us. And he delivers us from the thing that's held us bondage. And whenever he does it, he does it so complete that if you want to go back, it's not going to be good. See, these people are wrestling with this thought and this temptation. It would just be better for us to go back. But Jesus actually tells the truth. He says, if you want to go back, it's going to be seven times worse. It's not going to be the three hots in a, uh, in a cot that you were used to whenever Pharaoh was king, it's going to be even worse than that. All of the slavery and all of the, the torment, all of the, the, the torture that you were under at Pharaoh's hand is going to be worse if you want to go back to that prison. This is what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 12. He says, When the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, it passes through waterless places seeking rest. But if I is on. Then it says, I will return to my house from which I came, and when it comes, it finds the house empty, swept, and put in order. Then it goes and brings with it seven other giants, seven other spirits. And it says this, more evil than itself. And they enter and dwell there, and the last state of that person is worse than the first. So also will it be with this evil generation. Listen, whenever you and I want to dabble in darkness... As the children of God, it's never going to work out for you. Here's the thing. It never worked out for me whenever I wasn't a child of God. I mean, that's kind of the, the weird thing of, of whenever the enemy comes and he tries to tempt me into that place that, I'm, that I've repented from and I'm trying to get free from and I'm walking away from the immorality that Jesus saved me from. It's just crazy to me to sit there and think that it was a good thing because it was terrible whenever I was there. Now, here's the thing. This is the giant of captivity. I've kind of tried to paint this picture for you today. I want to give you some tactics on how you can defeat it. Because like I said, this giant comes to tempt every single one of us. The day that you give your life to Jesus does not take the target off of your, off of your chest from the enemy. As a matter of fact, the, the enemy is going to seek all the more to bring you back into bondage because he wants to, to make you a war trophy for the kingdom of darkness. And so let me give you some tactics. If you, I'm not going to ask for anybody to say amen, or I'm not going to ask anybody to raise their hands at this, but if you have struggled with a spirit of temptation trying to pull you back into captivity, I want to give you a couple things that will help you defeat this whenever he comes knocking on your door. Look over at Matthew chapter 5. We're going to look at a couple places that Jesus taught in Matthew chapter 4 and 5. Tactics to defeat a giant of captivity. And I do want to just kind of be real clear just so that I'm not beating around the bush. Whenever I'm talking about a giant of captivity, I'm talking about a demon, okay? 
I don't use the word demon because it freaks some people out, but you have to understand that there is a spirit that is trying to tempt you back into darkness. He's trying to lure you into a trap. It's a real thing. I, I, don't, I don't know how you can embrace Jesus and, and, and read this and so there's no spirits out there that are messing with me. It's a real deal, and Jesus gave us specific truths and tactics on how we can defeat giants and demons. Amen? Amen. And so here's, here's what I want you to see as, as we look at some of Jesus' words. Here's the first tactic of how you can defeat a giant of captivity. Number one, you must divorce your demons. You must divorce your demons. You have to divorce your demons. Say divorce. That's not a popular word to say in church, but I'm encouraging you to get a divorce today from your demons. You must divorce your demons and align with God. Now, here's the reason I say that is because if you want to play patty cake with this spirit, it's going to eat your lunch. And it may not take total control of you and subdue you by force, but through erosion over time, you will slide back into dark habits. Do not play patty cake with this demon. You have to divorce it. This is what Jesus says in James chapter 4, verse 7. Submit, their, submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. So this, this battle strategy of how you engage in warfare with the kingdom of darkness is not complicated. And I'm so grateful for that. I'm a slow guy sometimes. It's very simple. But I'm just telling you, there's a big war that happens whenever you try to submit yourself to God and resist the devil. But we're assured, what does it say at the end of that verse? Victory. Submit to God, resist the devil, and what happens? He will flee from you. You will win. I told you this last week, I'll tell it to you again. He who is in you is greater than he who's in the world. The God that lives inside of you is stronger than the little g God of this world in this age. The light that's in you is stronger than the darkness. Do you understand that the kingdoms that are at war in the spirit, it's not a fair fight. God is able and capable, if we will just align ourselves with God to step into the place of resisting the enemy, He will be defeated in our life. But you have to resist. You have to submit and you have to resist. So tactic for number one is you must divorce your demons and align with God. Look at Matthew chapter 5, verse 27. This is what Jesus said. This is my you don't play patty cake with demons passage right here. Verse 27. That's not how Jesus said That's how I said it. Okay? He said this. You have heard that it was said you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin... Tear it out and throw it away. I don't know about you, but I am very attached to my eyes. <laughs> and whenever Jesus says, rip it out, I just have this, this grody kind of feeling come over me. And that's just a terrible thought. Amen? But Jesus is using some colorful language here to get a point across. You cannot play patty cake with this stuff. You have to get aggressive. Tear it out and throw it away. I wouldn't want to keep it anyway. It's so weird. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. Listen, Jesus is talking about the lust of the heart. 
And he's talking specifically in this passage about sexual immorality, okay? But listen, lust works across the board. The sin of lust is not solely in the direction of sexual attraction. The sin of lust is the, the fleshly desires that every single one of us can have. And so you can have a love affair with food and it be wrong. Do you know that I'm speaking the truth? You can have a love affair with food and it's not right. It's sin. That's called gluttony. It's in the Bible. You can have this lustful thing, this desire that gravitates you in a sexual way in the wrong direction than what God's called you to express your sexuality in, and it be wrong. You can have friendships. Where does gossip come from? That's a relational issue, folks. And there is a lustful desire to do something in the sin of gossip, whether it is to stab somebody in the back that you don't like, or whether it is to make yourself look better than you actually are. Listen, this is the lust of the heart, and that's what Jesus is talking about. And whenever we're dealing with lust issues, he's saying, get aggressive. You can't play patty cake with lust issues, desire issues. Whenever you have a sinful craving, can I put it to you that way? Get aggressive with it. He says it's better for you to cut that craving off, so to speak, and get rid of it in your life than for it to cause you to stumble into captivity. Into hell is what he says. But basically what we're talking about is being put into bondage. Listen, whenever you and I struggle with evil desires, you have to take it seriously because that spirit is only desiring to put you into bondage. I have had more conversations pastorally with people that are dealing with life-devastating issues that started with a little bitty thing. It started with a little bitty conversation on social media. It started with a little bitty conversation at the grocery store. Listen, this more often than not starts small and grows into a huge issue that destroys a marriage, puts somebody into addiction with substances. It doesn't always start big. It usually starts really, really small. And so whenever Jesus is saying, if you want to walk free from the kingdom of darkness, he's laying this principle before us, get aggressive with it. Whenever you can identify in your life a temptation from the devil, understand this, he's not trying to be your friend. These, the, we just read in, in Numbers chapter 14, the children of Israel were like, let's go back to Pharaoh. Pharaoh was not their friend. Let's go back to Egypt. Egypt did not help them succeed in life. And so the enemy that comes to lure and to tempt you into those websites that you know that you don't need to go to, to spending the money that you know that you don't have, sin issues cover all spectrums. Don't play patty cake with it. You have to divorce your demons. You can't keep them around as pets. Jesus taught his disciples whenever he taught them to do the work of the ministry. He said, this is what I want you to do. I want you to go from town to town, and I want you to preach this message. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. And I want you to heal the sick, and I want you to cast out demons. From the very beginning of Jesus' ministry, he preached, divorce your demons. Get rid of them. Don't keep them around. Don't kind of just try to reduce their influence in your life. Kick them out. And this is the authority that every single believer has in the name of Jesus by the blood of Christ is you have the authority to evict every spirit of darkness 
that is hounding you. And so whenever God is speaking a promise over your life, you will get resistance from giants in the land. You will get something that comes against you from the kingdom of darkness. You have to stand and take authority and kick it out. That's the first tactic. The second tactic is this. Cling to the word of truth. Flip over a page to Matthew chapter 4, backwards. Matthew chapter 4. The first is you must divorce your demons and align with God. The second thing that you have to do to defeat a giant of captivity is to cling to the word of truth. Listen, the word of truth is the key to your prison doors. Jesus Christ is the word of truth. He is the way, the truth, and the life. He is your freedom. He whom the Son sets free is free indeed. And as Jesus comes to minister freedom into your life from the clutches of hell, He is the one that's going to keep you free. And as you expand your freedom in God, the thing that is going to help you step into freedom is the word of truth. And whenever I say that, I don't just mean Jesus. I mean the truth that Jesus comes to bring to bear in our lives. If you look at Matthew chapter 4, Jesus is being tempted. This is kind of comforting to me because the temptation that you experience in your walk with God, Jesus experienced. The enemy came to him and tried to lure him into immorality, to disassociating himself with his father and stepping into darkness. He had that temptation in his life just like you do with yours. What the Bible tells us is he knew all that temptation, but he did not sin. He never chose to step into it. And so what we're going to read is, and this is going to be familiar to a lot of you, but I think God wants to show us something today is this is whenever Jesus was tempted in the wilderness before he started his ministry. And it says this, look, let's look at, um, I'm actually, I want to pick up for time's sake in verse 8. And so let me summarize what's happened here. So Jesus is in this conversation with Satan himself. Okay, Satan comes to tempt him in the wilderness. He's been fasting for 40 days, and I love what the Bible says. Thanks, Captain Obvious, Matthew. He points out, and Jesus was hungry. And so Jesus was hungry, he's been fasting for 40 days, and the enemy comes to tempt him. And the first thing that the enemy comes and says, he says, if you're the son of God, turn that stone into bread and eat. You're hungry, feed yourself. Listen, as, as this happens, there's this thing that the enemy does that he exploits our weakness. Have you ever experienced that? Whenever you're down, the enemy is going to kick you. If you have something that is hurting in your life, he is going to try to exploit that weakness. Jesus hasn't eaten for 40 days, and that's the first thing that the enemy comes and touches in his life. Hey, you're hungry? Why don't you soothe that hunger? Hey, you're lonely? Why don't you call that person? It's like there's this, this playbook that the enemy has, and he plays the same thing every single time. You're weak in this area? That's where you're going to get tempted. Jesus responds to him. And as he responds to him, he says, I live by not just bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Satan comes to him the second time, and he tempts him and challenges his identity. If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from the temple, right? He says, I'm not supposed to test the Lord my God. Here's the thing that happens. Everywhere that the enemy tempted Jesus, he said, it is written. It is written. This is the word of truth. And the word of truth is the key to your prison doors. 
And whenever the enemy comes and he tries to pull you back into a place of bondage, the word of truth is going to be your strength. It's going to be like nuclear bombs in the camp of the enemy. And so you have got to learn how to wield the word of truth in your life. Let's look at the third one. This is where I want to read verse 8. This is the third time that Satan came and tempted. And notice, it doesn't just happen once and, and Jesus submits to God and resists the devil and he doesn't flee the first time. The third time that Satan comes to tempt him. And I just see these temptations as something that was very weighty on Jesus. The reason that I know that it was very heavy on Jesus is because as soon as this is all over, angels come and minister to him. It's like there's this collapsing moment. It says this in verse 8, the third time that Satan comes. Sorry, I'll get to it. And again... The devil took him to, every, to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to Jesus, all these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan. For it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him. And behold, angels came and were ministering to him. Here's what I want you to see as we read that, that last part of the, the, the passage in Matthew chapter 4. Satan tried to come the third time and play on Jesus' desires. I was talking to you about lust just a second ago, and lust is just an unholy desire. It's an ungodly desire. And here's the thing that I want you to see about what Satan does with Jesus, is Jesus had a desire to glorify his Father, and Jesus knew exactly why he was in the world. He knew why he came. He came as Messiah to sit on the throne of David and rule the world. That's the reality of Jesus, the king of all kings and all kingdoms. He knew what he was coming to do. And he knew that his desire, and this was a holy desire in Jesus' heart, was to, to stand in Jerusalem, to be enthroned on David's throne and to fulfill the promise that God had spoken over the world to usher in a time of His government that was like no other, that He would abolish darkness and sin and sickness. That day is coming. Amen? That is the promise that we believe in. That is the, the fulfillment of the Messiah, the Messianic Kingdom. And as Jesus had that desire to fulfill His Father's promise, Satan came to play on that desire. He took Him to a high hill, a mountain, he said, these are all the kingdoms of the world. If you'll just worship me, I'll give it to you. Here's the thing, Jesus was going to get it anyway. Satan was just offering him a shortcut. The truth is, what will set you free and protect you from the deception that's going to lure you back into bondage. Why is it that you and I go back into prison cells? Why is it that we go back to the sin issues that we wrestle with whenever we know those sin issues never gave us life to begin with? Why do we wrestle with those things? And the only thing that makes any sense in the reality is we just get deceived. We fall for it. And all it is is a lie. Listen, if you're going to stand up to this spirit and overcome it, you're going to have to marry yourself to the word of truth. Because truth is the only thing that can prevent you from getting deceived. And here's the enemy, and he's tempting Jesus, and Jesus' retort is, hey, this is what's written. I put my faith in the word of truth, and what the word of truth says is this. And I stand on the word of truth, and the word of truth is what will set you free. 
It's what will keep you free. It's the thing, it's the sword that you and I wield to attack the enemy. Every other form of, of armor that the, that the Lord has given us against the enemy is defensive except for the sword of the Spirit, the word of truth. Here's what I want to do this morning. Those are the tactics of how you and I overcome a spirit of captivity. This giant that is resisting you from stepping into all of the promises that God has for your life. But you have to actually stand and fight it. You have to divorce the enemy. Away from me, Satan. That's what Jesus said to the, to the devil. Away from me. Are you in a place in your life whenever you're wrestling with those dark issues that you have? And all of us have them. Where you are kicking the enemy out or are you trying to let him cohabitate with you? You cannot do both. You cannot stay free and allow the enemy to have a place in your life. Are you in a place where you are standing in the word of truth, on the word of truth, and from a place of truth protecting yourself from deception? Because listen, I have seen precious friends of mine who I thought would have never been deceived ever fall for it. I'm just a person. I'm just a man. And if I don't do these things in my life, guess what? I'll fall for it. All of us are susceptible to falling for the tricks and the schemes of the enemy. The way that we defend ourselves, the way that we protect ourselves from deception is to marry ourselves to the word of truth. That's what we have to do. The word of truth has to have a huge place in your life. Is that where you are right now? If you would stand with me this morning. And I want to pray. Invite the worship team to go ahead and come on up. And those who are going to serve communion, if you'll go ahead and get the elements ready. And here in just a second, we're going to receive communion. And as we do that, I'm just going to give you an opportunity to do some business with the Lord. And I really do believe that, that there's, there's an opportunity for some folks here today to divorce their demons. So I want to ask you to just bow your head and close your eyes and pray this prayer over you. If you're here today and as I'm talking to you about divorcing your demons, you know that the Lord is talking to you. I want you to raise your hand. Got to get aggressive. This is your moment of aggression. It's just you and the Lord. We're giving you some privacy right now. People are, have their eyes closed. It's just between you and Him. This is you acknowledging, Jesus, I know that I've been entertaining this demon. I know that I've been letting him live here. So if you have your hand raised, this is, I'm going to pray this prayer, and I want to ask all of us to pray this prayer together. This isn't a liturgical prayer. It's just a common prayer. That's all I know. But I want you to repeat this after me. Satan, pack your bags. Leave. I want you to pray that prayer again, and I want you to draw from within your spirit authority. You know the way that you talk to demons is the same way that you talk to kids whenever they're in trouble. You have the upper hand. You are the authority in the room as a blood-bought child of God. And I want you to pray that prayer with me again with authority. Satan, pack your bags and leave. 
Father God, we come to you right now and we submit to you and we submit to the word of truth. Your word says that, that he who the Son sets free is free indeed. And Lord, we want to taste freedom and we want to maintain freedom and we want to stay free. And so Father, I just pray that right now every single person who is coming into alignment with you, they're, su they're submitting their lives to you today, God, that you would cause this deliverance to happen in their life. Jesus, would you open the prison doors and set them free? The shackles that have been on people's wrists, God, would you call them, cause them to fall? You are the way, you are the truth, and you are the life. And so, Father, I just pray for freedom today. For habits that have been dogging people for years to fall to the ground. I pray, Father, that you would cause this desire for holiness to begin to churn in the hearts of your people. That we would hunger and thirst for your righteousness, God. That we would seek it with everything that we have. That we would not take freedom in your kingdom for granted. That we would not go back to Egypt. Lord, help us to step into a place, God, where we enjoy freedom, where we cherish freedom, and where we protect freedom in our lives. And we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen.